There was a time in the early to mid-90s where my mother had to, she felt she had to explain to her friends and relatives what I was doing with my life because I was doing a lot of intensive retreats as, as much as a year at a time. And I, I suppose it might, have, it might have looked pretty odd to people who didn't know what, what I was doing. What, they didn't know what Buddhism was. And so my mother said to me one time that she had explained to her friends that Buddhism is not a religion, it's a philosophy. And she said, is that right? And I said, well, as I understand it, there certainly is religion in Buddhism. In fact, if you go to Southeast Asia, mostly what you're going to find is religious Buddhists who believe, they believe the doctrine of Buddhism and they make regular offerings to deities. So yeah, religion of Buddhism is definitely religion. But that's not all it is. There certainly is the, the philosophical component of it. You can think all kinds of really interesting things about Buddhism and talk about it. And it's also a psychology. There's a very sophisticated psychology. The uh, Abhidhamma, or Abhidharma, depending on whether you're talking about Pali or Sanskrit. So it's all of that. It's a religion and it's a philosophy and it's a psychology. But for me, all of that is secondary to what I think Buddhism really started out as, uh, which is a technology for awakening. And so I would say that everything else was intended and still ought to be thought of as support for this awakening, this practice that we do, these practices that we do to awaken. Tonight I'm going to talk about Mahamudra, which is one of the technologies for awakening. Mahamudra comes from the Tibetan tradition. And I'll tie it in with some other, some other ways to triangulate, as I think of it, to look at this from different perspectives to find out what, what on earth is really going on, moment by moment. What, what is this awakeness we're talking about anyway? I'd like to read a very short passage from the third Karmapa's Mahamudra prayer. While looking again and again at the mind, which cannot be looked at, the meaning, which cannot be seen, is seen vividly just as it is. Let me try that one more time. While looking again and again at the mind, which cannot be looked at, the meaning, which cannot be seen, is seen vividly just as it is. Now you may be tempted to think that that's utter nonsense.
and in a way it is but it's pointing to something very profound and that's what we're going to talk about looking at the mind which cannot be looked at we are in New York City and so if you listen very hard very carefully now maybe you can hear the shifts in the harbor But on the other hand, no, there's not a chance. <laughs> there is no chance we're going to hear the ships in the harbor. There's all this traffic noise. We're in the middle of a building. We're, I don't know, a couple miles from any ships. So you can't hear them. And yet, if you, if you try or if you open to the possibility that you might hear them, so do, let's do this again. I'm just opening to the possibility that I might hear the ships. When I do this, the mind gets very, very big and soft, very still. And, I, and I do, what I find is that I do hear some other things. I can hear the air conditioner and I can hear the traffic and I can hear the dreadful music from downstairs and and the mind seems very sensitive so I can I can feel subtlety within the body And I also I'm finding that although there is thinking, there's not any particular story going on right now. The mind is kind of turning away from the from the storytelling because it's engaged in this listening. Now it's worth reflecting upon what an extraordinary what an extraordinary thing that is what an extraordinary moment We don't want to take this for granted if your mind stops yammering at you for a second that's remarkable And all of that can happen just by listening listening for something that we cannot hear so let's go back to that, those two sentences, those two lines from the Mahamudra prayer. While looking again and again at the mind which cannot be looked at, the meaning which cannot be seen is seen vividly just as it is. Now what if you say, I don't know what the ships should sound like. Maybe I should be listening for foghorns or maybe I think foghorns sound like bicycle horns. Well, if you think about it, it doesn't really make any difference since we can't hear it anyway. We're just listening for something. 
We're listening for some for whatever we think the shifts ought to sound like. And even though we don't hear them, the mind becomes big and soft and still. So if the intention is for the mind to be big and soft and still, we've accomplished it. What was the second part of that? The meaning which cannot be seen is seen vividly? The meaning which cannot be seen is seen vividly just as it is. So if I ask you to look at the clear light of awareness, if I ask you to look at awareness, you might say, I don't know what I should be looking for. But that wouldn't be so bad, because it's the looking for it that might bring the mind to stillness. So if I say, if I use certain pointers, certain metaphors to point to, the, to awareness, something pristine, something still, something stainless and unstainable. So we're looking for that. And what is your mind doing as you look? In other words, is it becoming big, soft, and still? If so, that's a really good, that's a really good thing. Here's the kicker. If you think you are seeing awareness, you're mistaken. That's not awareness. That's something you're seeing. That's something that's some phenomenon in the mind or in the body. The mind which cannot be seen. There isn't any way to see it. There isn't any way to see awareness any more than you can hear the ships in the harbor. And that's not the point. We're not trying to... In other words, the point is not to, to see this thing and, and possess it and describe it and say, okay, I got it now. I know what emptiness is. No. You don't know what emptiness is. If someone tells you what they know what emptiness is, you know they know exactly nothing about it. In other words, they don't know what they're talking about. Emptiness is not something that exists in the ordinary sense of the word. We can infer that there must be awareness, but we cannot see it. And that's okay, because turning the mind toward this mind which cannot be seen brings about this moment of blessed relief, this moment of stillness, 
in fact this moment of awakeness One of the reasons this is sometimes hard to, sometimes challenging, is because you think you are going to see something. You think you're going to get the answer. The point here is really the free fall, what I think of as free fall when, when the, the discursive mind is brought to its knees this is the same principle by which a koan would work in, in Zen Buddhism it's a question that can't be solved by the intellect And when the intellect stops operating for a moment, you can see things as they are. So what does that feel like? Well, it feels, it feels very simple and very free and no big deal. It's a big relief. So if you're getting anything that's even remotely like that, this sense of relief or free fall or something, some sense of cleanliness or clarity, good, go with that. Because that can be cultivated. That's a moment of awakeness. Now if you attach an idea to this and, and say, okay, this is it, this is my um, this is what I think of as, as awakeness, you can inquire into that. You can be a little bit skeptical. Um, well, is this really awakeness or is this just or rather is this awareness am I making a thing out of something that everyone insists is not a thing if so fine that's not a problem at all and then you can ask yourself once again okay what about this awareness what about this awareness that is not even manifest and therefore cannot be seen And yet, this, this exercise of looking for it, of turning the mind toward it, does something remarkable to the mind. It brings you this moment, this beautiful moment of freedom.
Now, from this point of view, from this point of view of, of momentary stillness, we haven't even created time yet. So any idea that there could be some development through time to enlightenment, it's a non-issue. There's this moment of stillness. And this moment of stillness. And if you were going to be what I call a, a, uh, a ruthless non-dualist, you would insist that there is no time and you, and you wouldn't be willing to consider the possibility or the question of development. But development is also a, le a legitimate point of view. We, we do live in the world of time and we can see that we're a little more enlightened today than we were yesterday and presumably we'll be more enlightened tomorrow. So how do we reconcile this momentary awakeness with a development? So let's go ahead and posit time and talk about this other perspective because we're going to triangulate. We want to look at this from various perspectives. The simplest model of developmental awakening that I can think of would be a line, so a horizontal line, imagine a yardstick, and at one end of the yardstick is not at all enlightened and the other end of the yardstick is completely enlightened. And then there's a continuum, so there's a ratio all along the way from less enlightened to more enlightened. But how are we defining enlightenment? And I'm using awakeness and enlightenment synonymously here. Well, once you add time, then we're talking about how many moments of awakeness as compared to how many moments of asleepness If I say, uh, we, we pick an arbitrary time unit, so in one minute, how many times am I awake and how many times, how much of that am I awake and how much of that am I asleep? So there's a ratio. Now we can intelligently talk about what I mean by developmental enlightenment. So all the way at one end of the yardstick, there is the primordial Buddha of the Dharmakaya who never lapsed into dualistic thinking for even a moment. That's the extreme, all the way enlightened. It doesn't get any better than that. And then, of course, at the other end, just never has a moment of alertness. So we've got this ratio. If you pick up this yardstick in the middle, pick it up by the middle so that it bends in the middle and so that it, turn, makes a, it forms a kind of inverted V or a kind of mountain-shaped line. Okay, now we have a tipping point in the middle 
where you're working toward enlightenment the whole time remember because all the way enlightened the theoretical primordial Buddha of the Dharmakaya is all the way at one end but in the middle of this thing there's something something a very special moment this is a moment at which the ratio shifts from mostly not awake to mostly awake and this is a really significant moment in the life of a yogi this is what I call fourth path notice that there's lots of hill left but now the difference is if you've been pedaling your bicycle uphill the whole time now you're pedaling your bicycle downhill and that makes a big difference now on the way up you were pedaling up and, and you liked doing it, I mean it, it was a labor of love, you could feel the progress the whole time but sometimes the wind is in your face and sometimes it's at your back but you knew that you were generally going uphill now that you're, you have tipped over, you've crested the hill you're going down here again, sometimes the wind is in your face and sometimes it's at your back so it's not, we're not talking about the gravy train here there's, life is still challenging but you know you have this this fundamental confidence oh yeah I'm awake I, I mean I can think of myself as an awake person I even get what all those heavy cats from the days of yore were talking about and this by the way is not speculation this is this is very accessible to ordinary people it's happened to me and it's happened to lots of people I know so we're kind of reclaiming what the Buddha said in the, in the suttas. Uh, the people were getting enlightened all over the place back in the day. Some, for some reason along the way we reinterpreted enlightenment to mean something that never happens to anybody and could only have happened to people back in the day. As though, as though human life were somehow regressive to the point where we're just completely clueless compared to people 2,500 years ago. What are the odds? I mean, I would say, if anything, I would make the other case that, that we have developed as a, as a, a species. It's, pr it's probably easier to get enlightened to the point uh, what the Buddha called Arahat. It's probably easier now than it was then, not harder. So it's counterproductive and frankly ridiculous to define enlightenment as something that never happens. So we're using this tipping point model where the line is shaped like a hill, you go up the hill for a while and then you crest it and you're going down. Are you ever going to get to the point of the primordial Buddha of the Dharmakaya, who never lapses into dualistic thinking for a moment? I don't think so. I mean, I've never heard anybody say that that was their experience. So it's more about this ratio of, of, of remembering to forgetting, of awakeness to asleepness. And most people will say, the people I talk to who, who uh, feel as though they've crested this hill, they feel pretty good about it. They feel like, you know, I really have gotten what it is that I wanted from my, from my meditation practice. I feel like I'm awake. And I see that there's so much left to do. There, there's, what's left to do is 
Hmm. Arguably infinite, because you, because I'm not going to get to the point of the primordial Buddha, the Dharmakaya. But fine, because I'm happy and fulfilled. I have a kind of a deep kind of contentment that does not depend upon the conditions of my life. Sometimes things go my way, and sometimes they don't. And it's not always easy. And I'm I'm okay. And I can I can contrast that with how I used to feel. Not okay. So there's something very uh, practical about this. This is a very pragmatic thing. Listen for the ships in the harbor. If you can get even one moment of awakeness by any of these by any of these perspectives, any of these pointers or techniques, then you can get another moment of awakeness. Listen for the ships in the harbor.